0: So what we're gonna talk about today is overcoming surprise attacks of the devil. Overcoming surprise attacks of the devil. As long as we're here and as long as the devil's here, we're gonna have to deal with the attacks of the enemy that he tries to wage against us. Uh, if, If we let him push us around, he will. But we have more power and authority than, than the devil. Like Nancy just quoted, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we don't have to let him push us around. Uh, there are many Christians in the world who, who don't know this. They've never heard it, or even if they have heard it, uh, it's not really, they don't really have a revelation of it but we're going to get a revelation, amen, and we're going to walk in it. Uh, You know, 2,000 years of uh, Satan's attack on the church, he has never been able to destroy the church. Uh, As a matter of fact, all of his attacks against the church have actually advanced the kingdom of God. (laughs) And so his attacks always backfire. He never... He never learns. He never gives up. He, it's, just, it's just amazing how uh, he continues to think that he can overcome God. And, and no matter how many times he's failed, he just gets up and he goes back again. Uh, so I think all of us could learn a lesson right there in itself <laughs> um, about being persistent. But when we stand up to the devil in faith, God will intervene, and He will turn uh, to our advantage the things that the devil has actually used to try to bring us down. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's let's start in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen. First Thessalonians two seventeen. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, um, in Paul's day and back in the ancient times, the early church history, uh, some of the more popular forms of entertainment Uh, was conducted in these stadiums, and thousands of people would come uh, to watch uh, various competitive events, uh, various types of competitive fights, chariot races, um, foot races, uh, uh, fights with wild animals. Uh, this was all entertainment and even throwing Christians in to be killed by gladiators. These, these were all forms of entertainment at that time. And more than once in the New Testament, Paul used uh, these illustrations of foot races in these stadiums to illustrate different points that he was teaching. And one of these uh, places is found here in 1 Thessalonians 2 where he says, uh, verse 17, the Phillips translation says, Yes, I, Paul, have longed to come and see you more than once. So Paul said, more than once. I I uh, had an intense, I was seriously uh, intending to come see you, and Satan hindered me. Now, he doesn't tell us what the hindrance was. He doesn't tell us what attack stopped him from going to see these people face to face. But uh, when he says um, hindered, Satan hindered me, that has several meanings. Uh, One of the meanings is to cut in. We all know, we've all experienced driving down the road and you're on your way somewhere down the road and all of a sudden a car comes up in front of you and cuts, cuts you off, cuts in front of you and suddenly you have to brake and, um, and, and it impedes your traveling, your journey. So that's one of the, the uh, meanings of hinder. Uh, another meaning describes a runner who's uh, in one of these foot races, they're given it their best, they're headed toward the finish line, and all of a sudden another runner comes up besides them and pushes them, elbows them, off the track and out of the race. And, and that has even happened in modern times. We know that it's against the rules, but we also know Satan doesn't play against the rules. He doesn't play according to the rules, does he? Mm-hmm. So it, th- this is another meaning of the word hinder, a runner that comes up alongside you, you're headed toward the finish line, and all of a sudden another runner comes up and elbows you off the track and out of the race. And one other meaning of this word, hinder, means to create an impasse or to block you from moving forward. Um, we know even during the these ancient times, the Romans built many roads, and I guess for their day they were quite sophisticated. But for that day, but. Uh, Uh, This describes uh, a road that you're traveling on, and for some reason, the road becomes, as you go, the road becomes more and more deteriorated. And uh, maybe soil erosion or boulders have have fallen onto the road, and all of a sudden, you just just can't go any further down that road because the roads weren't maintained. And uh, so this describes an impasse. Maybe, uh, you know, the devil has attacked you with deteriorating health or deteriorating finances or deteriorating relationship. Uh, Something has deteriorated in your life. Uh, Satan has used this. He has uh, uh, strategized this against you to prevent you from traveling any further, to prevent you from uh, reaching your destination. So this is another meaning of the word hinder. We know that Paul experienced many disruptions. It also means to disrupt uh, or to create an impasse or to block uh, your path. Uh, We know Paul experienced many disruptions in his life. In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes whippings, beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, um, storms, highway robbers. These are just the external, physical, Uh, attacks, just some of the attacks he uh, experienced. That's not to mention the internal attacks within the churches, false teachers and false prophets and people coming in trying to turn the congregations away from the the truth of the word that Paul was uh, revealing to them. So the devil doesn't want you to arrive at God's destination for your life, and he doesn't want you to experience God's best. Um, He he says here, Satan hindered us. Uh, The word Satan here doesn't so much refer to Satan's name, but it uh, describes more of his activity. It means to accuse, to slander. One who accuses, one who slanders, um, or uh, what's the other word? Uh, conspires. That's the word. That's a real word you want to remember. One who conspires against. One who conspires against us to disrupt us. Uh, the devil will conspire to cut in on your life, to cut in, to elbow you out of God's will. Um, he's an outlaw, uh, Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He's really no match for us, but uh, we have to be tenacious. We have to be tenacious, and tenacious means to keep a firm hold of something, determined, not readily relinquishing a position, principle, or course of action, not easily dispelled. So we're not easily disrupted. We're not easily elbowed out of the race. Uh, we, we, we're going to elbow him off the track. Amen? Amen. We're going to be looking over our shoulder <laughs> and see him coming up on the backside. And when he gets close to us, we're going to say, don't even think about it. We're going to elbow him off the track. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, let's turn over to Romans 8. And see another scripture here. This scripture is often misinterpreted and taken out of context, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, we'll start in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Again, this is obviously some things that that Paul has experienced personally. Verse 37: Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. This doesn't just say we're ordinary conquerors. That would be good in itself. But the word more than means top-notch, first-class, unrivaled, and superior. uh, I think there's a reason he he actually said more than conquerors. You are a top-notch, first-class, unrivaled, superior conqueror. And that's the way the devil sees you. And and unfortunately, many Christians don't see themselves that way because they've never been taught the word, they've never renewed their mind to the word, and they just see themselves as worms up against some overpowering devil. And the devil has no power, no power in the spirit. Jesus has stripped him. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus, full of the principalities and powers that were ranged against us, making a show of them openly, um, um, triumphing over them in it. Amen. So Jesus has stripped the devil of his power. He's actually afraid of you. Now this word more than uh, a conquer is hupernikos. That's the, that's the Greek word and hooper is would be the English equivalent, super, uh, first class top notch, superior. And conquer is the word nikos which is where Nike, sporting good company, takes their name after. The Greek word Nikos, which means conquer. So when you refuse to faint in the day of adversity, God will cause you to be a first-class, top-notch, overwhelming force through the one who loved us in Christ, not on our own, but in Christ. The devil sees you as a soldier dressed in the armor of God. Over in Ephesians 6, you know, it describes all the armor of God. It says, put it on, and if you'll keep your helmet on, and you'll keep that faceplate down, and you'll continue to speak the word, the devil won't know if that's you in that armor or if it's Jesus, because that's God's armor. And if you'll keep the faceplate pulled down, he can't he can't see in there. He can't see who it is. And as long as you're speaking the word, he thinks, "Oh, that sounds like Jesus. I better leave them alone," you know? But if you start talking like the world and you start talking negative and, "Well, maybe it's not God's will for me to have this," and maybe maybe uh God's trying to teach me something through this attack and this kind of thing, the devil's going to know, hey, that is not Jesus in there. That is somebody else. And, and he, will, he will know that uh, he's got the upper hand there. But actually, he's afraid of you. And that's why he tries to come up beside you to elbow you out of the race so that you don't disrupt his activity. We're going to elbow him. We're going to cut in on him. We're going to break up. And push him out of the race and interfere with his activity. And that's what he does not want. He wants to run unhindered and we're in his way. We're in his way and he's actually afraid of us. Now verse 28 in Romans 8 is this is this verse that's often misinterpreted. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. This verse does not say God plans everything that happens. This verse does not say God plans everything that happens. This is the way this verse is often interpreted and taught. And many preachers teach it this way. Denominations teach it this way. And if you're sitting somewhere and you hear somebody say, God plans everything that's happened to you, all the evil, all the adversity, all the attacks, and he's, just, he's done it to teach you something, uh, to teach this is part of his mysterious plan, and we don't understand, but one day we'll understand. If you're sitting somewhere and you hear that, get up and walk out. Do not let somebody sit there and destroy your faith. James 1.17 says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not sending evil. God is not sending attacks to teach you something that is not part of his plan. If it's not good, it's not from God. So this is not saying God makes everything that happens in the world but because people are so ignorant, scripturally ignorant, they know so little about the word, they know so little about the devil, it's like the Old Testament people who just thought uh, God was responsible for everything that happened in the whole world and they had no revelation about the devil. So this, this, uh, this is not saying that God plans everything that happens. Now, when he says all things... Here, this means nothing excluded, everything, even the most minute, minuscule details. All things work together. Now, this word, this phrase work together, uh, the best uh, translation of that would be divine power working with us. I think the Greek word is soon or erg, energy, work. Soon means to, to cooperate, to come alongside, to help. So it means God will come alongside to help us uh, in these attacks and he will turn them. He will turn them for our good. And what the devil meant for evil, God will intervene, he'll get involved, he'll work together with, the, with uh, everything, everything the devil has conspired against you, if you will stay in faith, if, if you will keep pressing forward and stand your ground, God will intervene. He'll come alongside and he'll take all these negative circumstances the devil has conspired against you and he will turn them and he will cause them to actually assist you in getting where he wants you to be. That's what this scripture is actually saying. The devil conspires against you. So if you don't faith, you you stay in faith. God will work together with you and help you reach your divine destination. Uh, Now, if you give up and throw in the towel, you're done. And that's what the, the devil is counting on. But God will make all that the devil has used to conspire against you, and he'll turn those negative circumstances into stepping stones that will actually advance you to a new level. And that is not what the devil is counting on. The devil plans his surprise attacks to destroy you. He wants you out of the race. He wants you off the track. He doesn't want to be hindered by you. Uh, in any way. He wants to run unhindered in your life. He wants to run unhindered throughout the earth. And he, and the devil doesn't plan for his surprise attacks to advance you to another level. He plans for them to destroy you. That's his plan. He doesn't want you uh, experiencing God's best. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 uh, well. Corinthians 15. Verse 32. Paul says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, uh, Paul states this. The context here is somebody was preaching that there's no resurrection from the dead, and Paul here is making a case here for the resurrection, and he's saying here, "I personally fought wild beast in Ephesus, and I survived. Uh, what good is it? Uh, what, what good's that in this life if I survived uh, fighting wild beast?" If there's no resurrection, we might as well go out and party all night, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die. So he's making the case for the resurrection. But he, the, the, the point I wanted to focus on here was, I have fought with beasts in Ephesus. Now, when Paul said he had fought with beasts in Ephesus, this is not just some figure of speech. He was saying, I was personally thrown into one of these stadiums in Ephesus to fight wild beasts. And this was one of the forms of, of entertainment of the day. And usually, the people fought these animals with weapons. And these were not domesticated animals. These were ferocious animals that were imported in from Africa and other countries. Uh, they were bears, lions, tigers, alligators, rhinoceros. These were, these were men-killers and they would throw people, Christians, into these arenas uh, with weapons to fight these wild animals as a form of entertainment and thousands of people would come. And Paul says, I personally was thrown into one of these arenas to fight these wild beasts and I survived to tell about it and you're gonna survive whatever wild beasts are trying to take you down as well, amen? You're gonna survive and you're gonna to live to tell about it and whatever's attacking you today is going to turn out to be your testimony. Amen? Amen. Because you're going to overcome this attack. Because you're not going to, uh, you're not going to count down, you're not going to throw in the towel. God's going to intervene. Amen? So these wild animals could not take Paul down because of the greater one in him. God will get involved to help you overcome all the wild beasts that you have been fighting and to overcome all the demonic attacks that Satan has conspired against you and you will overcome, you will survive it and you're going to have a testimony at the end of it. Amen? Amen. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Paul was saying uh you know, I'm, I'm, not just, I'm not just writing you a fluffy letter. He says, I've, act, I've personally experienced the dangers that you're facing. So he, he, meant he had literally been thrown into these arenas with wild animals that were meant to kill him. That wasn't just a figure of speech. Now, in Acts 18, we find another example of God turning a surprise attack around that furthered his plan. Uh, here in Acts 18 uh, verse 1 after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So the background here is um, there was a row or raucus between the Christian Jews and the unbelieving Jews in Rome. And this had been going on for a while, and Claudius the emperor had had intervened a few times to to quash this ongoing row and argument uh, between the Jews, the unbelieving and the believing Jews. The Christian Jews continued to preach Jesus, And so these um, rows continued, and it finally escalated to the point where the emperor got so fed up with it, he says, I'm getting rid of all of you, the whole lot. I'm evicting all the Jews out of Rome. So that's what he did. That's what it tells us here in verse 2. And two of these Christian Jews who were evicted were a husband and wife team named Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, and uh, they became um uh well they were suddenly they were suddenly evicted from Rome with all all the Jews uh they had a business there, they had their home there, they had their friends there, all their social network um apparently they were tent makers like paul was uh but suddenly everything's gone suddenly. You know, one day they're just evicted, and they've, they've lost their business, they've lost their home and everything, and I guess whatever they could put in a suitcase and what little money they had on them is all they had. So this, uh, this was definitely a surprise attack of the devil. God did not plan for them to be kicked out of Rome, okay? This was not part of God's plan for them. This was a surprise attack of the devil. So they got on a boat and they traveled to Corinth or near Corinth, not knowing what they were going to do when they got there. And it says here that uh, Paul was also departed and he came into Corinth. So so as Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were all headed toward Corinth, uh, they bumped into each other. And when I say bumped into each other, I say that with quotation marks. Uh, when all seemed lost for Aquila and Priscilla, and it seemed like, uh, you know, they didn't know what they were going to do. They were just going into Corinth. Uh, God got involved and made all things, all these, this negative attack against them that the de- the devil conspired against them. God got involved and he made all these negative things work together and he turned these things for their good. And Paul, uh, it says he found Aquila and Priscilla. They bumped into each other on the way into Corinth. This was actually a divine connection. This meeting was a divine connection. Aquila and Priscilla... Uh, became prominent co-laborers with Paul in Corinth. They, they became involved in his ministry. They helped start the church in Ephesus, uh, or they actually started the church in Ephesus. They helped start the church in Corinth. And in Romans 16, 3 and 4, uh, Paul writes about Aquila and Priscilla, and he's, he refers to them as my helpers in Christ Jesus. Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So Aquila and Priscilla um, uh, were very instrumental in, in uh, Paul's ministry and the, the, these churches uh, there throughout. Europe, these new churches that Paul established and they helped him to establish. In verse 26 here of Acts, it tells us uh, that they discovered Apollos, who was another associate of Paul. He's mentioned throughout the New Testament. Uh, They actually took Apollos under their wing, they took him into their home, and they became his mentor. And they they heard him preach here in the synagogue and they saw uh, he, he was on fire for God, but he needed some more teaching, you know? So it's, the Bible says they expounded to him uh, more perfectly the way of God. So they took him under their wing and they, they taught him the word and, um, and increased his understanding because they, they saw he was on fire for God. He just needed some more teaching. So Aquila and Priscilla uh, became very instrumental in Paul's ministry and these New Testament churches. The surprise attack by the devil was intended to destroy them by evicting them from their home, leaving behind their business, friends, money, everything. Uh, But what the devil meant for evil, God intervened and he turned for their good. Satan's plan backfired again, and his attacks against uh, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla actually helped to further the cause of, of the church and Jesus Christ in these early times. So this tells us Satan has no winning strategies. He has no winning strategies. Uh, it's also uh, Important to note that this attack of the devil on Aquila and Priscilla preceded the opening of a new door of opportunity for them. What looked like a disaster and what looked like total personal failure by by losing everything, having to leave Rome, uh, it actually set them up for a divine connection with Paul what the devil meant to destroy them and elbow them out of the way, out of the race and keep them from fulfilling God's plan for their life, the devil actually set them up for a divine connection that enabled God to use them to accomplish more for the kingdom of God than they could have ever imagined before. Now, let's turn over to Mark 4 and look at... Uh, Let's look at how to handle spiritual turbulence. Spiritual turbulence. We're all familiar with that. And here in Mark 4, Jesus demonstrated how we're to respond to a surprise attack and come out victorious every time. Verse 35, it says, Uh, And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had uh, sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So uh, they were on their way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to the region of Gadara. And this is where... Jesus was going to cast out the demons from this man, demoniac of Gadara. It's not unusual for the devil to attack you on your way to doing the will of God. It's also not unusual for the devil to attack you when you're about to experience a miracle. And Jesus was about to perform a miracle here And Satan tried to disrupt his journey, getting over to the other side. So, in our lives, something happens on the way to doing God's will. You lose your job. Your finances get messed up. uh, Something happens in a relationship or your health deteriorates. Something totally unexpected happens. And Satan tries to create an impasse to hinder you on the way to fulfilling God's plan for your life. And it says in verse 37 As they were on their way to the other side, and Jesus was about to perform this miracle, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now, it says there arose a storm. This means this was something that took them totally by surprise. This was not in the forecast. It was unexpected, and it took them off guard. Uh, I'm sure it didn't take Jesus off guard, but uh, uh, it took, took the disciples off guard. This was a preemptive attack, a preemptive strike of the devil to stop Jesus from going to deliver this demoniac man, not only was it going to deliver this man, it was going to to deliver this entire area, this entire region that was affected and under the influence of these demons that control this man. So Jesus was not only going to deliver the man, this whole area was going to be freed up. And it says, the, the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So uh, the boat was now full, and and, uh, wave after wave of water was being thrown. It was being picked up and thrown into the boat. And this was... uh, this was an unseen entity. This was the devil who created this storm of wind, which was actually influencing and driving the water into the boat. It was like an unseen entity would pick up this water and just throw it into the boat until and, and the point where it was practically full. And the, the, the disciples, uh, they were dealing with the visible realm. They were dealing with the physical things, the water. That's what their focus was on, was trying to get the water out of the boat. And every time they'd pick up, uh, pick up a bucket full and throw it over, here came another wave of, of water into the boat. So it was succession after succession of water. Uh, one wave right after the other. Just as soon as they could throw out a bucket full, here came another wave. And uh, so they, they went to Jesus, they woke him up, and um Jesus, it says, he arose and rebuked the wind. So Jesus demonstrated to us how we're to deal with spiritual turbulence. Number one, he he wasn't anxious. He was asleep. I mean, you know, I'm a good sleeper, but I don't know if I could sleep through uh water up, you know, up to my Neck, you know, I don't know that I could sleep through that. I can sleep through just about anything, but um, they went and woke up Jesus, and Jesus got up and he didn't deal with the physical realm. He didn't deal with the water. He wasn't focused on the water in the boat. He was focused on the invisible realm. What's driving this storm? What's caused this storm? What's causing the, the waves? It's the wind. It's the wind. It's the, and you can't see the wind. You can see the water and the waves. That was the effect of the wind. But Jesus addressed the wind. He addressed the invisible realm. He, he addressed the unseen entity that was forcing that water into the boat and created this storm. And he got up and he uh, he rebuked the wind. This is a command. The contemporary English version says, Jesus got up and ordered the wind and the waves to be quiet. Uh, I think in the Greek, uh, it actually s- says, uh, he got up and, and he said, shh, shh, He rebuked the wind and said, quiet, shh. And it, it obeyed, it obeyed. The the wind obeyed and when once Jesus had dealt with the invisible realm, what what created this storm, what's driving this wind, then the waves stopped. The water stopped. They didn't that was the end of the of, of the flood. Once he dealt with the unseen realm, the visible realm all got into order. The visible realm all got into order. So that's what we do. We don't don't need to be focusing on the symptoms. We don't need to be focusing on the natural side. We need to do like Jesus. What's at the root of this? What's in the unseen realm that's created this attack? And that's what Jesus dealt with. So this is how Jesus dealt with this surprise attack. Hallelujah. So we put on the whole armor of God and we take authority over the wind and the waves that come against our lives, that come against our families, our bodies, our businesses, our finances, just like Jesus took authority over the turbulent wind and waves that came against Him. So we deal with the invisible realm first and then the natural realm will come into order. Now... Um, I'll also also mention here, um, it goes on to say in verse 41, the disciples uh, said, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, As a result of this surprise attack, they got a revelation of Jesus they had never seen before. They got a revelation of Jesus. This man... Can command the wind and the waves. He can command the natural elements. They got a new revelation, and I'm telling you, when the, when you when the devil attacks you, you're going to get some new revelations about Jesus. You're going to get some revelation about healing. You're going to get some revelation about finances and so forth. So again, the devil is is really making a huge mistake when he tries to come against us because at the end of the day. If, if we stay in faith and we stay in the Word, we're going to get more revelation than we had to begin with. And that's a huge miscalculation by the devil. Now, the Apostle John, uh, as an older man, he lived in the vicinity of Ephesus. And the church fathers tell us that John was the last of the 12 original apostles to die. Uh, He was uh, living outside of Ephesus, carrying on his ministry, minding his own business, uh, kind of staying under the radar there, not causing any problems, but just, you know, uh, involved with the churches and carrying out his ministry. And one day, uh, there was a knock on the door, and Roman soldiers came and arrested him. And they took him to Rome. And Historians tell us that the emperor had him boiled in a vat of boiling oil. They they tried to kill him by putting him in a vat of boiling oil, and it had no effect on him. He came out of that oil completely unscathed. Everybody say, no harm. (laughs) And this scared the emperor so bad, he knew there must be something supernatural about this man. I mean, God must be with this man. And he, it scared him so bad, he just said, okay, if I can't kill him, I'm going to get him out of here. So he, he had him exiled to the prison island of Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation. Okay. He wrote the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos after he was exiled there when they could not kill him. Uh, This surprise attack on John became a place of revelation. Satan's plan to destroy John actually set him up to receive the greatest revelation he had ever had the exalted Jesus, and in this cave where he was sent to die, Jesus stepped in that cave and revealed himself to him as the exalted Jesus, and John has written it all down, and here we are 2,000 years later, still reading the writings of Paul, Paul's ministry still going on, John's ministry still going on. So the devil will be sorry that he ever attacked you because when you hold fast to God's word, you're gonna get a new revelation of Jesus the healer, Jesus the provider, Jesus the protector. Vicious attacks often come at crucial points when something important is about to happen. When my finances came under assault and I moved to England, Uh, I was kind of like Aquila Priscilla, I just had my clothes with me and a little bit of money, not knowing what I was going to do here, really. And, um, uh, you know, I had these negative, really negative circumstances where my finances were, were concerned. But those negative circumstances became a place of revelation for me. I began to get a revelation, I began to dig in the Word. I, I, I got my hands on Brother Copeland's tapes and I, I began to hear what Jesus did on the cross, his defeat of Satan, what's included in our inheritance, the principles of faith and, and God's plan to bless and increase me. And in my cave, a financial crisis where the devil put me in this cave to try to destroy me, I received a revelation from the word I had never heard before. And I had been in church all my life, and I had never heard any of these principles. I'd never heard anything about the defeat of Satan. I'd never heard anything about what Jesus actually did on the cross. So what Satan meant to elbow me out of the race and disrupt me actually set me up for blessing. See, it it depends on what you do in that cave, in that time of crisis. If you throw in the towel you've had it. If I'd thrown in the towel, I would have just been sunk. I would have had no alternative but just to go back to America, I guess. Uh, but I had already made that commitment that he wasn't going to do that. Um, and and so it depends on what you do in an attack. If you When you're thrown in that cave and the devil's trying to destroy you, you dig in the word, you stay on the word, God will be, begin to reveal himself to you and and give you revelation you never had before. And that's what happened to Paul, that's what happened to me, amen? Amen. Hallelujah, and the devil be sorry he ever came against you. Now, uh, I wanna mention, how do you respond to a surprise demonic attack? Let's just mention several things. How do you respond? Well, here's several things that are important. Have scriptures that you are waging a good warfare with and hold fast to them. Have scriptures you're waging a good warfare with and hold fast to them. Secondly, like Jesus, deal with the source and not the symptoms. Deal with the unseen realm, not not just focusing on the seen realm and the symptoms. Deal with the source in the invisible realm. Choose to rest like Jesus in the boat. Choose to rest instead of giving place to anxious thoughts. Exercise your authority and command the wind and the waves to stop. Command the wind. Speak to the waves. Amen. Hallelujah. So these are several important Uh, steps we can take when the devil brings a surprise attack on us. Have some scriptures that you're holding on to. Deal with the source, not the symptoms. Rest in faith instead of giving place to anxious thoughts and exercise your authority. Amen. Now, uh, I want to spend a few minutes here on uh, the best defense the best defense against an attack of the devil what's the best defense well one of the best defenses we can have uh, is kind of a um, proactive step to to stay one step ahead of the devil or even if he's already attacked us uh, in a, an important uh, Defense that we have at our disposal is to continue to live a life of integrity and and consecration. To keep your life pure, don't give the devil anything to work with. Don't give him uh, sin or or um, you know wrong attitudes or bad behavior. Don't leave a loophole anywhere for the devil to get in and completely destroy you. Uh, the 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 devil cannot completely destroy a person unless he's got a foothold in there somewhere in their life, uh, someplace that they have never dealt with. Um, Many Well, sometimes, sometimes, you know, people have an attack and they blame God. Sometimes people have an attack, they blame the devil. Sometimes they've just left the door open for the devil somewhere in their life. And if you know someone who's who's just constantly under attack, one wave right after another, they might just need to take a stop and look at their own life. Have they left the door open somewhere for the devil to get in and, and take a foothold? And uh, even though Paul experienced many external uh, afflictions and, and much buffeting, externally from the devil the devil was never able to get a hold of anything in his life that could destroy him he came against him but he could never destroy his ministry he could never cause personal failure to him in any way so uh and it's because uh you know paul lived a consecrated life devoted to god and he 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 didn't he wasn't didn't have an open door through worldly activities or anything that could give the devil a foothold. Now, one of the best examples, I think, um, and one of the greatest stories in the the Old Testament and many, many uh, revelations here is the life of Joseph. And I think the life of Joseph is a great illustration of someone who experienced... A surprise attack, uh, and the devil was never able to destroy him. He was never able to to elbow him off the track. He was never able to uh, stop uh, Joseph from from fulfilling God's will for his life. Yes, he delayed God's plan for his life for probably thirteen years, but the devil could not destroy him. And, and, and one of the main factors is because Joseph uh, continued to maintain his integrity now throughout this attack and this test and trial. Now, I think it's interesting, the story of Joseph covers 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, and it's interesting that this attack uh, that first began on Joseph when he was about 17 years old to the time that he became second in charge of Egypt. That was a 13-year period. Um, Joseph was the youngest of Jacob's favorite children. He was daddy's boy. Uh, And this also didn't exactly go too well with his brothers, the rest rest of his brothers, because he was daddy's boy. But what really pushed them over the edge is when God gave Joseph this dream that one day his whole family was going to bow down to him. And Joseph made the mistake of telling his family about this dream. Well, it didn't go over very well. Uh, they weren't as, as excited about this dream as Joseph was. And in Genesis thirty-seven eighteen it says, When Joseph's brothers saw him from afar coming toward them, They conspired against him to slay him. Now, what did we say the the activity of the devil is? To conspire against you. And, And so his jealous brothers, under the influence of Satan, Satan conspired to kill him and to use his brothers to do it. So one of the brothers talked them out of it. And his idea was, well, let's just throw him in this pit you know uh and um it was a brother's idea that okay we'll throw him in the pit i'll come back later i'll get him out and i'll take him home well in the meantime the meaner brothers uh sold him to some traveling merchants they thought well if we're not going to kill him we might as well make a profit off of him and cash in so they they sold him and when the the other brother went back to the pit to rescue him joseph was gone So at this point, now they got to make up a lie and go tell their father that he's been killed because they, you know, so they had to, now they got to lie to their father. So uh, anyway, from there, these travelers sold him as a slave uh, and Potiphar bought him. He was promoted by Potiphar. He was uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to seduce her. Actually, she seduced him, and he said no, and he wound up going to prison on false accusations. He wound up spending an extra two years in prison because one of the other prisoners that got out was supposed to put in a good word for Joseph, and he didn't do it, so Joseph was stuck in prison two more years. And eventually, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and pharaoh let him out of prison and put him in charge second in charge of egypt so that's a quick summary of the 13 chapters of joseph's life but what's important joseph had opportunities to get bitter he said no he could have been bitter with his brothers he said no he could have had revenge on his brothers later on in genesis he had the golden opportunity to get revenge on his brothers and he he said no When Potiphar's wife threw herself at him, he said no. And in Genesis 39, 9, Joseph said to her, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he, Pharaoh, kept back anything from me but thee, but you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph said, I am not going to sin against God for a few moments of pleasure. He said no. He maintained his integrity and personal consecration to God throughout this 13 years of hell. Uh, He was tenacious. He kept a tight grip on God's promise concerning his destiny. He never let go of that dream and that word that God Gave him, and no matter what the devil tried to do to him, he maintained his integrity, his holy, pure life, and he 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 held on to that dream, and he would not let go of it. Now, what Joseph did did do the mistake he made, like I like I was saying, some people. leave a loophole, they leave an open door for the devil to come in, and that's exactly what Joseph did. When he told his brothers that dream that God gave him, he opened the door, he left a loophole for the devil to come in and try to destroy him. He created an impasse in his life. Suddenly, he's in the bottom of a a pit. Uh, Suddenly, the devil has conspired to kill him, and to kill that dream, and um, this turned into a 13-year detour, delay of God's will for his life, 13 years of hell and hardship that delayed Joseph from getting to his destination, which was to be second in command of Egypt, where he was not only able to save his own family, he saved the entire nation of Egypt. That was God's destination for him. And you can see how Satan orchestrated all this to try to stop him, to create all these impasses in his life, to elbow him out of the race so that he could not get to his destination and save the entire nation of Egypt. So the moral to this part of the story is some things God tells you, they're to stay between you and God. Don't go mouthing them to just everybody and anybody, even other Christians. Be very selective about who you share uh, things with, uh, think, words that God gives you, things that God gives you, because this was where uh, Joseph left an open door for the devil to get in, and and his It it created so much jealousy in his brothers, they they tried to kill him. It was not the devil's plan to promote Joseph. It was his plan to destroy him. And it was not God's plan. You will hear some preachers say, well, God, you know, God put Joseph through all these 13 years of hardship. And he did that. He had to do that in order to get him in the right place at the right time so that he could save Egypt. God could have got him there some other way without going through 13 years of hell and delays. Uh, that was all created by Joseph. He left a door open there for the devil. The, it, it was the devil's plan to create all this hardship, not God's plan. God could have got him in the right place at the right time without him having to go through this horrible 13 years of hell. So what God... Uh, what the devil meant for evil. That's where we get the verse, Genesis 50, 50 verse 20. He's, uh, Joseph said to his brothers, As for ye, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And and what the devil meant to destroy Joseph, God intervened. He turned it around, and he actually used these, these uh Attacks as stepping stones to promote him to his fulfilling his destiny, which was to be in charge of Egypt in this time of famine. And he was able to save his own family and all of Egypt. Now in John 14, 30, Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and he hath nothing in me. Jesus lived a consecrated life Uh, He did not give the devil any foothold. He did not give the devil anything. He says, the devil has nothing in me. There was no loophole where the devil could get in to his life to exploit him. Uh, There are other people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all experienced surprise attacks. But their personal consecration to God and their refusal to compromise calls God to intervene and to deliver them some of the most miraculous deliverances uh, out of surprise attacks these men maintain their integrity they refuse to compromise their faith they refuse to compromise the word they refused to, to to sin against God when they had the opportunity and that and this is a this is an important factor this is one of the best defenses in an attack is just maintain your integrity don't give the devil uh, any place to begin with to get a foothold in your life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, uh, we're going to receive our offering here, but along the along the lines of Joseph, I want to say not only was um, his consecration and devotion to God and and, uh, maintaining his integrity throughout all of this. Not only was that an important defense uh, under this attack that came upon him, but it also uh, preserved the blessing of God upon him, upon his life. Uh, Even as a slave, the blessing of God was on Joseph's life. And uh, when he was bought by Potiphar, Potiphar, who was an unbeliever, uh, recognized there's something different about this man. And what, what, was, what he saw, he saw that what, wherever you put Joseph, no matter whether he was in the pit or a slave or in the palace, the favor of God was upon him. And, and Potiphar saw that no matter what you ask him to do, he, he excels at it. And this was the blessing of God that was upon him. He had the, the blessing, uh, everything he put his hand to prospered, whether he was in prison, whether he was working for Potiphar. Uh, um, I've got a scripture here. This is uh, Genesis, but I don't have the chapter. <laughs> Sorry. It says, soon Potiphar realized that the Lord was helping Joseph to be successful in whatever he did. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was, was with Joseph in a very special way. So no matter uh, what attack or hardship Joseph went through, the blessing of God showed up. Uh, it gave him favor. Uh, it It's... Uh, The Bible says Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became uh, the personal attendant of Potiphar. who put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. So uh, the fact that he lived a pure life and, and a consecrated, devoted life to God also preserved the blessing of God upon him. He valued this blessing and favor of God upon him so much, he didn't want to endanger losing it. Mm. And so uh, this was, uh, he he realized the importance. Uh, not only that this was a, a good defense against an attack, but it also would preserve the blessing of God upon him and the favor of God would continue in his life. Uh, his heart was focused on living a life that was pleasing To God, and he was more interested in protecting the blessing and living a pure life than a few moments of sin. Uh, Because we live in a crooked and perverse generation, blatant sin is accepted and promoted on the airwaves, in the government, in the schools, in the marketplace, and in some cases, in the church. The world is constantly trying to get us to compromise our stand. Satan wants you to yield to this perversion so he can stop you from experiencing God's best. This is another way he can get a loophole in your life, get you to compromise a little bit here, a little bit there, Uh, you know, go along with the world, don't uh, buck the boat, you know. He's looking for a loophole to get in but we simply cannot compromise God's standards and expect to live in the fullness of the blessing. First Peter 1 Peter 1:15 in the amplified classic says, "But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living." So the glory of God is the goodness of God, and we're we're declaring and expecting God to show us his glory. And we don't want to fall short of that. So we don't want to limit God. And we don't want to give the devil a foothold. We want to keep our lives pure and enjoy God's best. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we're going to receive our offering now. If uh, If Ben and Abby want to help, you want to help Ben?